0: Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen from Danfoss Climate Solution. Thank you for listening in on this special podcast dedicated to the hype of CO2. This podcast is actually an extract of the live stream that Danfoss Climate Solution arranged the 7th June 2023, so there may be a few situations where visuals just may be missing. The audience questions are, however, driving the conversation throughout the podcast, so there are some great insights to gain about the use of CO2 as a refrigerant. Hmm hello everybody and uh thank you for attending this uh, live stream about the hype of co2 um, we have quite a panel today we have john broughton from the uk hi john yeah.
1: hi jens good afternoon and everybody
0: good morning we have jamie from canada yep and we have christian Bartelapierre de la pierre from uh france hello Good. And Jörg Saar from Germany. Hello. Yeah. And myself from Denmark. Hi. Uh, as usual, uh, this this uh, live stream is, is uh, driven by your questions, the audience questions. So please uh, let us have all your nice questions and let us know from where you are actually joining. Um, we'll very much like our experts brains to get working now so please go ahead let's uh, get some uh, nice questions about this but before uh, we uh, go on to this um, I have a I have a question to the to the panel and it goes like this co2 is not really anything new not at all um, but maybe in smaller systems. So let me hear from you experts, where do you see the limits for use of CO2 in commercial systems? And what would be the limit? Why would you limit it? Huh.
2: Mm. That's, that's a Good one. Um, who wants to start? Uh, I mean, I can, <laughs> I can take a stab at that a little bit. I mean, I have seen small, you know, one meter high kind of uh, uh, coolers in an office environment. And you can tell it's got CO2 in it because it gives you a warning on the maximum temperature that the unit can sit in. And um, if you look at the cost of CO2 systems, that is probably one of the limiting factors is that you have to compete on a market where a lot of that on the smaller size systems is price. It's very, very price driven. And so what they're looking at is getting the best performance for the lowest manufacturing cost. So CO2 probably isn't the least expensive refrigerant when it comes to manufacturing these small systems. So I'm sure that may have some kind of limitation, but the fact is it has to also be in a controlled temperature environment. So you couldn't put it in a space where say in an outside warehouse, where the sun's shining and you're in the Southern U S or, you know, Southern Europe where, you know, the temperature can get 35 degrees Celsius. Uh, you know, you could not use it in a place like that because it would be above the temperature that you're allowed to have CO2 and you would either, you know, it would probably end up venting most of the refrigerant that was in the system because of the safety. So I think those are two limitations that I see, um, personally anyways. Yeah.
3: Um, I wonder whether there are limitations. I mean, of course, there are points where you wonder and where you ask yourself, does it still make sense? From a technical point of view, you could build Mm -hmm. very small CO2 systems. Mm -hmm. As you say, Jamie, for some of these systems, the big question is, does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Or are there other solutions which are more economical, um, easier to, to build. Mm-hmm. As you said, when when it gets really small, so down 2 kilowatts, uh, below 2 kilowatts, that's where where I don't see too much CO2 usage.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: When when we talk about 5, 10, 20 and so on, of course not every system is CO2, but CO2 can make a lot of sense
0: there. Mm-hmm. But
3: mm-hmm. If we go too small, then yeah then i wonder whether it makes sense
2: well it's a good point somebody made a comment about small systems would be r290 and from a north american standpoint if you look on a website of a major manufacturer here like true or somebody they're all to r290 in fact i remember when r290 was coming in um and in north america we would call these like quarter half third three quarter horsepower units um if you compare the efficiency of R134A and R290, I mean, you're looking at 20, 30% efficiency gains with R290. But aside from that, you also have to look at people's purchasing preferences. Um, There's a lot of hype around R290 as well, being flammable, and people don't wanna have something flammable in their office, they feel threatened by it. So here's an alternative, you know, CO2. And does it make sense technically? Maybe not. But it is something that somebody may buy for other reasons, as I say, you know, uh, personal reasons. Or don't, don't you think that fear uh, and uh, misunderstanding?
4: Don't you think that might be also coming from uh, a harmonization point of view? Uh, today we have seen falls of very large racks, a lot of CO two installation which have been done. Uh, it has been driven by uh, the refrigerant price. You you talk mm-hmm. about the price, mm-hmm. but also as uh, a technology, you want to be uh, impacted and for them when they have put uh, a choice on the refrigerants it may feel logic for them to reach that so you're right York uh, there is a limit uh two one two three kilowatt might be also a limit where other system like a 80 is a good one also
0: mm-hmm.
4: but harmonization yeah price yeah yeah
3: yeah uh-huh. I agree to that it is of course driven a lot by by regulations as well So no matter where we are, we talk about a reduction of greenhouse gases. So Kigali protocol and all of that, that, of course, pushes towards refrigerants which have a low global warming potential. CO2 has a global warming potential of one. And that's one of the reasons why we look at that refrigerant. And mm-hmm. as you say, Christian, if, if we go to certain applications, a supermarket makes a lot of sense because oh, yeah. we could get rid of 404A with a high global warming potential. And we have advantages like a very nice reuse of the heat.
2: There you go. Right there. That's 100%. I think a lot of what you just said, that's a big part is you have to look at the total energy picture of it. What does it allow you to do?
3: Mm. Yeah.
2: All right. Now, you guys do a lot of reheat in Europe, much more than we do here. For, um, for How big of a part yes. does that play in CO2 over in Europe? For, for larger system,
4: yes, they, are, they reuse a lot uh, about, about the heating. Uh, for smaller system, um, sometimes the cost of the piping costs more than uh, what mm-hmm. we can uh, win. Or the, the, let's say that the, the payback, uh, mm-hmm. five, ten years.
2: Okay
3: that's that's true there there is a lot of heat recovery here and if we talk about if we go back to a supermarket and you build a supermarket of a certain size then it's pretty normal to have co2 as a refrigerant and now it's pretty normal to use the heat coming from your frozen pizza frozen chicken and so on from your chilled milk via the refrigeration system to heat up your supermarket to heat up the sanitary hot water in your supermarket so that's that's
2: standard now if you want
0: mm-hmm
2: yeah i think we have a couple of questions here regarding co2 supply chain is refrigerant grade um co2 readily available or are these rumors propagated by the enemies of co2 um what do you guys think well i have I've, I've heard about
3: CO2 shortages. Yes. Um, there, there were discussions that in general CO2 was not available for certain applications for, for some time. However, hmm. that was not a long term thing. Um, at least not, not to my knowledge. And in my opinion, refrigerant grade CO2 is available.
1: Yeah, I I would agree, Yorg. The the sites that that we've worked on, we've had no issues getting refrigerant grade CO two within Europe, not at all. I don't know what it's like in the US. I think that's where um, Scott is from. Yeah, um, North America. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I can't comment on that. But uh, yeah, you you've
2: you've given the answer, Jamie. So yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't understand that there's a lot of issues getting co2 there isn't as much penetration here into supermarkets in co2 I'm i'm in canada so if you go into quebec and ontario and other regions we do have a relatively good uh installed base with co2 systems but i don't think it's anywhere near the the penetration you've seen in um in europe but i personally have not heard of any shortage of co2 um, refrigerant grade that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't happen or it hasn't happened it, the issue it happens to be is uh, you know is it COVID related is it supply chain related because a year ago you couldn't get anything practically you couldn't even get room on a ship to put something on without paying exorbitant amounts of money so it, it's pretty hard to you know disentangle that from from, from any, any type of specific shortage hmm
0: Yeah, I can see uh, we are getting a lot of uh, questions coming in now. That's great. That's perfect. We have one from Jeremiah Paris. Do you have any program for future CO2 heat pumps? Mm. Uh,
3: Yeah, not only for future. (laughs) (laughs) already, Already now, Danfoss provides components to manufacturers of CO2 heat pumps those heat pumps we talk about here are of typically of larger size, but are dedicated heat pumps, sometimes really, really big. So in the range of several hundred kilowatts, megawatts, where, where CO2 then is the refrigerant for these heat pumps to provide higher temperatures for district water or or district heating networks, for example.
0: Great, thanks. Um, we have another question from uh, Matt Killis. What do you think about R five one three A when you compare with CO two as talking about GWP, ODP, and efficiency?
2: Mm. Five one three is that the replacement for R one thirty right? four A? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard to keep track of these new refrigerants, or I'm just getting old. I don't know which one, but <laughs> maybe both.
1: Yeah I mean a 513 has got a gwp run about 750 somewhere on there Ooh, um so it's, so, high. Th- so it's it it's high it's a low density refrigerant same as 1134a one, one, um so it's got a higher g higher gwp than uh, co2 which is 1 and uh, yeah not as efficient so mm-hmm. I guess that, that's
2: the comparison mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if yep. you look at, without getting all technical, but if you look at like a pressure enthalpy diagram, if you look at how much heat each you know, kilogram or pound of refrigerant absorbs when it goes into the evaporator and is transferred from a liquid to a vapor, <clears throat> that along with its density plays a big role in the size and power requirements for a system. So CO2 is very efficient when it comes to um, absorbing heat. In other words, it can absorb a lot more energy than a refrigerant like 404 or 513 can for every pound or kilogram of refrigerant you got to pump. At the same time, it's also got a very high density, which means that for a given mass of refrigerant, it doesn't take up much volume. So R290, on the other hand, is a very low density refrigerant. So you need more volume, but that is offset by the fact that R-290 has an incredibly high um, uh, ability to absorb heat for each pound of refrigerant. It's it's actually substantially greater than CO2. But um, at the same time, the back the issue is it's also a lot less dense. So the physical size of your piping and everything else has to kind of increase. So. Um, HFCs and things like that really can't compete when it comes to a lot of the natural refrigerants on efficiency. There's, there's, there's just no comparison whatsoever. So um, yeah, that's really the big lowdown. The only, the only advantage, and 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 they have lower, lower global warming. So all around, these things, these natural refrigerants beat from a physical characteristic any artificial refrigerant made. It, it, there's just no comparison.
0: Great, thanks. Um, we have another question kind of related as condition is asking can we retrofit co2 with r290 and vice versa oh
2: no oh really? yeah oh so, <laughs> it's right uh, back to what we we're just talking about piping sizes and compressors and everything else Please i won't go with this one no. jorge you can go ahead or, or christian you can go ahead and take this one
4: no it's not it's not feasible to retrofit uh those uh those refrigerants uh, as you say uh the Uh, Density of the refrigerant are very different. Uh, Comparisons: the similar cooling capacity, the CO2 will require a compressor two size, two times less size than the R290. So, yeah, uh, density is very different. So, and Mm -hmm. uh, pressure is a lot different. Uh, (coughs) These are uh, working around seven bar, and uh, when the CO2 required more than 34, 60 bar. Yeah, Mm
3: agree. So that there is that is not possible to go from co2 to any other refrigerant or the other way around and
2: that's a good point
1: actually Mm. yeah and i think jamie that that's one um topic i guess in in future and i know Mm -hmm. today we're talking co2 but i think in in the future we're going to have that issue more and more with people retrofitting systems with different refrigerants uh, and it's something that
0: the, the, the trade generally is going to have to be very careful with. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. Uh, Afan Nassir is asking, is it true that a CO2 unit needs more power to run? That's a good oh.
2: one.
3: That's a clear maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's <laughs> asking like how no, far is up, right?
2: You know. Uh, yeah,
3: because because it depends really a lot on, on the conditions. Mm-hmm. where that system is operating so if if you compare for example and i can come back to 513 a to that that question we had before compared compare that to co2 regarding efficiency so let's say you build a bottle cooler and have that bottle cooler standing outdoors at a kiosk then CO2 might not be that efficient mm-hmm. in the summer because you have high ambient temperatures and then the total system efficiency the electricity you need to put into the the, the refrigeration system compared to your refrigeration effect is probably not that high on on CO2 compared to let's say 513a when
2: it's is that very because warm it's working outside. transcritical
3: yeah as soon as you get transcritical then then you you somewhat need more energy there are possibilities to recover that energy and to to make the efficiency pretty good but in general as soon as you get transcritical you don't condense anymore you have a gas cooler you need you need more more energy here however if if you have Good conditions maybe you you want to reject the heat at high temperatures because you have a heat pump or you have a very big temperature difference on your on your side where you reject the heat or use the heat then co2 can be more efficient because you can use that big temperature difference and other refrigerants get less efficient the higher you get in condensing temperature so it, mm-hmm. black mm-hmm. and white is is mm. difficult here i mm, would yeah. mm-hmm. i would never I, say yes and no i would agree on that in general uh,
4: looking uh, on commercial refrigeration the test and the mm-hmm. number we have uh, we have on uh, smaller cooling capacity shows that it's uh with seasonal efficiency scpr we are slightly below standard refrigerant, it's just slightly, so, yeah, it uh, depends how, how thickness as uh, a line you are looking about. If not, yeah, it's quite similar. And we are comparing that with our best-in-class inverter systems.
2: Mm-hmm. 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 Great. I guess it's really what you're doing is you got to look at your total energy cost. How much are you spending to heat water or dehumidify the air in the summertime and things like that? And is, you know, can you use the heat of rejection from a transcritical system? Because a transcritical system gives you tons of high quality heat, very high temperature. There's lots of it. And that's just something you don't get with a typical, you know, refrigerant system where there's actually condensing taking place in the condenser. So it limits how warm and how much heat you can get out of it. There is really not a lot of limitation when it comes to CO2, you get a ton of high quality heat but do you have a use for it? And so you have to design a system around, not just taking heat and dumping it outside. Like the adage for air conditioning is you take heat from a place where you don't want it and you dump it to a place where you don't care about. Yeah. Well, that no longer really applies with CO2. You. If you can have a use for that heat that you normally waste and it makes absolute sense. It's, it's, a, it's a crime throwing heat away because it costs money and energy to make it. So if you have that kind of use for that kind of energy, <clears throat> it completely changes the sum of the game then. And so you, you have to look at it from a whole different light.
0: Yeah. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, we <clears throat> get, are getting a lot of questions and that's so great because it keeps us talking, keep us mm-hmm. awake. Uh, we have uh, another one here from Gustavo Mor- Moraes. I guess it's Morales. Never mind. Why has Danfors changed the condenser to aluminum? If possible, please answer in Portuguese. I don't think we have anyone speaking Portuguese oh. here.
2: No, sorry.
1: Unfortunately.
2: <clears throat>
0: what were they
1: made out of before aluminum? Are they talking thin- copper tubing? Yeah, they're talking thin and tube, I yeah, guess. Yeah, thin and tube.
4: You want um, to make yeah. that? Or yeah, Christian, yeah. That? It's... At least we are, We have changed to uh, microchannel exchanger, aluminum heat exchanger, due to oh, the okay. fact that we have a much better efficiency on the condenser. Uh, the Delta T inlet and outlet will be maybe two times lower. And in terms of efficiency, if you are working you know, at a lower temperature, the compressor work at a lower temperature, it takes less energy with the same pressure. To, uh, to decrease the temperature, then it can bring you 5%, 10% better, uh, better cooling capacity. It's so a mm-hmm. direct impact <coughs> the cooling capacity. Meaning we are winning uh, 10, 10% is a lot, is one size of compressor, of small compressor.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, thanks. Uh, and related, kind of, uh, another question from uh, Mercury Swarshika. Not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Do you have any specific plans with Bach? Yeah, we want to sell them. Do you want
2: to buy a compressor? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Here you go. Um, I mean, it's a good question, and uh, I'm currently engaged with uh, with large uh, wholesalers here in North America on Bach, and of course our oem original equipment manufacturers the, our sales team is obviously currently engaged with them um, but it does allow a uh, a foothold into into new markets for us it allows us to go into larger sizes it allows us to go into the traditional markets like supermarkets and things like that and compete and co2 plays a big part of this um the, the box co2 compressors you can put a variable speed drive on them It allows you, you know, all the, all the, uh, benefits that you would normally have with, uh, with, with, with the semi hermetics. And they have a really good program that allows you to service the motors on the compressors without actually having to, you know, completely disassemble the compressor and do a lot of work. So there's advantages there, but that's really a commercial topic, um, outside of CO2. Yes, they work with CO2. Do they work well? Yeah, sure. Right. But, uh. Um, I think that's more of a commercial decision on, on going into the market. You yeah, guys want to throw you, something on that?
3: As you said, um, BOC is a really good part in the Danfoss portfolio. Danfoss did not have semi hermetic compressors. Danfoss did not have open compressors for mobile applications.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Now with BOC in the team, Danfoss can offer all of that. and and customers can choose from a really broad compressor portfolio.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Uh, Nasim Aziz has asked, uh, sorry for this, um, uh, but he's asking, what should be the specifications of CO2 as a refrigerant?
2: Dry, 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 dry. Mm, less than
1: 10%, I think, 10, 10 parts per million. Yeah. I was going to um, say, yeah, And then purity is 99.9. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it needs to be refrigeration grade CO2 for sure. Yeah, that, the, that's, uh,
3: that's the point. I don't have the, the specification in mind, but please use refrigeration grade. No mm-hmm. matter what anybody tells you about the refrigerant they sell, that it's good and great and whatever. As long as it's not refrigeration grade, do not put it into a refrigeration system. <laughs> Mm -hmm. because there is too much humidity, there there are too much non-condensable gases and all of that. It has Mm -hmm. to be refrigerant grade. Mm.
2: I have somewhere on my computer, you guys might have it too, I have a really good image that shows the high and low side temperatures of a CO2 system. And when you get down into the low temp side of a CO2 system, the amount of moisture that you're allowed to have is incredibly low i'm trying to think of what it is but it is much much less than what you would uh, you know tolerate in a normal hfc system so um if the refrigerant is wet going in or has moisture in it then you're going to run into all kinds of issues with plugging on your low side. And that's not something you want to have happen because then, then you have to completely open the system up and everything else. So um, I think that's why I said the word dry a couple of times because I was very surprised when I saw how dry the refrigerant has to be on the low side. Mm.
0: That's from Jeremiah Paris. Uh How is recovery affected with CO2? Do I need to recover it, or can I just out in open space?
1: Mm, yeah. Well, that's,
3: Easy that's question. An advantage. John, yeah, you want?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, you, you can just uh, let it go to atmosphere. It's a naturally occurring gas, so uh, no issues whatsoever. You just have to be careful when you're venting it that you don't generate dry ice uh, at your mm-hmm. exit point within the system. Um, so if you get below, uh, 5.2 bar, Mm 5.3 bar, can't quite remember exactly. Um, yeah, that's when you'll generate dry ice. So you just got to be careful of that.
0: Great. Thanks. I have a, I actually have a question myself. Jens is asking, uh, what happens actually? Why are we so scared of CO2 in the atmosphere now? And now you say that we could just let it go. Why?
3: okay well yeah that that sounds a bit strange and that's <laughs> that's a really good question jens because we say ah we put we as humans in general as a human race we put so much co2 in the atmosphere that we have this greenhouse effect and that the earth becomes warmer and warmer so we need to avoid that good and then you listen to us talking here saying ah yeah the co2 from the refrigeration system you can put that into the atmosphere. No issue. Doesn't seem to fit, right? Um, That sounds a bit strange. So I fully understand that. It's just um, when you put that into perspective, how many millions of tons of CO2 we put into the atmosphere by burning fossil fuel compared to the few kilos that we put into a refrigeration system, then then that little bit of of these few kilos they don't really matter
4: maybe we can also think about other refrigerants strategy where we have thousand uh that means each kilo each gram we resell of other refrigerants are a thousand four thousand two thousand more uh, uh disturbing the environment that's what we are reading so yeah that's strange to a. uh, uh to, to have this, I love CO2 strategy, where the CO2 is the global warming potential we are targeting to reduce.
3: Mm.
2: It's yeah. not where we get the CO2 to begin with, though. We, 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 it's not like we make CO2 per se. It, we, mm. we are pulling it out of the atmosphere and we're finding it, are we not? I'm assuming that's where the CO2 comes from.
4: And we are re- reusing something.
2: Yeah. So that's, you know, obviously yeah. there's some energy being used and recovering it, but um, it's kind of taken out and then not put putting it back in again. It's not like fossil fuel burning where you're combining masses together, you know, going through the chemical reaction yeah. of combustion and producing new CO2 that didn't exist before.
0: So yeah, um, yeah, I guess you could, you could also say that if we are operating in kilos with CO2, you would be operating in tonne when we're talking about uh, other refrigerants, or or if we are talking about uh, CO2 from uh, combustion or whatever. So there's a huge difference and there's no harm in in, uh, letting the CO2 from a system go. Ashkar Nishan, I think I've sort of taken you uh, a bit... uh, uh upfront uh where you're asking how is co2 usage in high ambient countries like india and pakistan ah sorry that's about uh, temperatures anyone
3: yeah um to be honest surprisingly strong in mm-hmm. my opinion at least the interest in using co2 in india and pakistan for example or other countries where you have high ambient temperature is surprisingly strong. I did not expect that to grow this fast, the interest here. There is the challenge of the high temperature, the high ambient temperature. However, there are system options to help you to make CO2 suitable even for high ambient temperature countries. A few examples booster compressors parallel compression ejector systems with these options you can make co2 systems quite efficient even in high ambient countries
0: thank you um and yeah it's it's kind of the same question i guess it's Rohit Gupta asking: Which ge- geographical location is ideal for a CO two compressor in terms of efficiency? Mm-hmm. Arctic, oh, not quite the same.
3: The Arctic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As as for every refrigeration <laughs> system, um, yeah. well, th- there was the so called CO two equator um, years and years ago. That that was a bit of a discussion where you had a certain line. Um, which limited the useful oper- operation of a CO2 system to more northern regions or very sou- very far south, but there are not too many people there. So to more northern regions where your ambient temperatures are not too high so that in most of the time of the year, you could operate subcritical. Mm-hmm. That That's how this, this line was generated so that you can use subcritical most of the time that has changed because of these technologies that you have parallel compressor compressors um, booster compressors that you have ejectors or that you have other other ideas how you make the system more efficient so Mm -hmm. now um, you can use a co2 system efficiently in many many places still it gets more and more efficient the lower your your ambient temperature is but that's that's the same for for R290 HFC ammonia.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any any refrigeration system that operates subcritical. Yeah. That Thanks.
0: Uh, Donovan Fan Van What pressure do you recommend for running your vessel? Thirty seven to forty eight bars? Does running a higher vessel pressure make any difference?
3: we we probably talk about the intermediate pressure vessel here when you Mm -hmm. come from the gas cooler high pressure valve and then expand the the gas into that intermediate pressure vessel um (laughs) there is not one single value but just just as an as an idea typical operating temperatures And here we we have the direct relation again between uh, between temperature and and pressure. But quite often, these vessels have a temperature of approximately zero degrees to five degrees Celsius, something like that, which corresponds on on CO2. And now now I need to do a short calculation. Sorry. Um, Maybe somebody is faster than me. Here we go. (laughs) Which corresponds to a pressure of yeah 34 to approximately 38 bar. That's where most of the systems operate. Yeah. Uh, you can you can run that on on a higher pressure. Um, that that has certain advantages, certain disadvantages. If you do that on a higher pressure, then you might run into the challenge that you don't have enough pressure difference from your gas cooler to that intermediate vessel in, in case of subcritical operation. It, it just depends a bit on, on the system setup. So I, I, I don't see one single value there. Mm -hmm. I
1: I would probably say, Jörg, it's more the difference between your evaporating uh, temperature pressure and your vessel pressure temperature. I think uh, that's what we need to talk about, Yeah, uh, is that that pressure difference. And yeah, I mean, you're talking, again, roughly, because not every system is exactly the same, but 25 to 30-part difference between your evaporating pressure and your vessel pressure, so Mm -hmm. your intermediate pressure. Pressure is there or thereabouts where you're gonna get the best COP. Mm. Is at least my understanding. Is this is yeah. how we maintain the
0: COP.
4: Yes,
1: correct. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Kunal Patel is asking what's your take on control philosophy for transcritical racks for high ambient places to get maximum efficiency from the system? Mm. Where,
1: mm.
4: Uh,
0: given I, I, the I guess.
1: That, that sort of comes back to what we were just talking about, Jens, is that, that pressure difference between your evaporating temperature and your vessel pressure, mm-hmm. and then controlling that with your gas cooler yeah. um, to, to try and keep that, <clears throat> that that level so you maintain your COP. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That That's an interesting point. And if you go to real big systems where you can afford to install some more control equipment, then... We talk again about ejectors which recover some of the energy that you yes. you kind yeah. of lose mm-hmm. when you expand the refrigerant from gas cooler pressure down to intermediate pressure.
2: Yeah, the bigger the system, the more impact they have, I'm mm-hmm. correctly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And the more you can afford them. So if yeah. you have yeah, a fixing unit of of mm-hmm. five kilowatts, you wouldn't put them in. They are just too expensive.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how does heat reclaim, if you had a use for that high temperature heat, how much of an impact would that have on your parameters? Does it does it open up a, a way of operating your high side or your racks differently than you would if you didn't have a use for that heat, if you're just trying to maintain mm-hmm. your best CO, COP without any use for that high side heat?
3: Yes, it does. Okay. So what what you do is you maybe sacrifice a little or not maybe but you you go a little bit higher in your gas cooler pressure to Mm -hmm. recover that heat and you go to a point where your efficiency is lower as if you would not recover the heat so you Mm -hmm. sacrifice some efficiency on the cooling side to be able to recover that heat but in total you get more example You have 100 kilowatts cooling and let's say you would have um, 30 30 kilowatts electricity and then you get a heat load out of that of 130 kilowatts in theory as a maximum
0: mm-hmm.
3: now if you want to to earn or harvest not earn but harvest that heat you make your efficiency a little bit lower so maybe instead of adding 35 kilowatts of electric power you now uh, 30 kilowatts of electric power you now add 35 so you add 5 kilowatts more electric power for your 100 mm-hmm. kilowatts of cooling which lowers your efficiency but all of a sudden you have the possibility to get 130 kilowatts of heat out of that which mm-hmm. you did not have before you can get the complete heat out of it so you you your earnings are 100 kilowatts cooling plus 130 kilowatts of heating for adding an extra five kilowatts that's pretty good
2: right Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. that's that that that, that, i think you know kind of nails it going forward as we want to electrify everything and that includes you know getting every ounce of energy or performance out of a system if you can heat your your hot water and start if you can heat your buildings in the wintertime if you can reheat your air that you're uh, dehumidifying so you can keep your you know supermarkets you know warmer without having to worry about uh, condensation taking place on the floors things like that. I think there's a lot of opportunities, but it's a much bigger picture that we're looking at compared to the old I need you know 10 tons of cooling and this is a system I'm going to put in and you know, I want it to be as efficient as possible, so it, it adds a whole other thing you need to look at when you're when we're when we're looking at uh, installing these big systems.
0: Great, thanks. Nassim Assis asks: Can we use plate heat exchangers as condensers in CO two systems?
3: Basically, yes. Of course, you need to have a plate heat exchanger which is approved for these pressures. There,
4: meaning one hundred and forty bar
3: if right. if you run it transcritical yeah if if you of course have have water or anything else that's all the time very cold mm-hmm. you can stay yeah, yeah. subcritical mm-hmm. um, you need to have a plate heat exchanger that's approved for co2 and for the pressures you have there but basically it's possible yeah
0: yeah great thanks matt killis is asking uh can another refrigerant gas be used in supermarkets instead of CO two in future? Is there a refrigerant that you think will replace CO two in the future? Ooh. That's a good question. Ooh, yeah. hmm.
3: that, that's a bit of a challenge because yeah. <laughs> let's let's go through the refrigerants and maybe that, that answers why why CO two is used so much. I mean, we had F gases, they have a high global warming potential. So we want to get rid of that. Let's look into something else. Ammonia has a low global warming potential. If you have a a leak, you don't want to have ammonia in the supermarket where your customers are. That's a panic refrigerant. You don't want that. So it's out. Then we have, what else do we have left? We have propane left. If there's a leak, you get a lot of propane into the supermarket with all your customers in the supermarket as a direct evaporation, probably not. Um yeah and that's it what what we have left um I, I don't have any other ideas i mean we could use nitrogen as a gas direct and co2 is even better than that yeah
0: uh, mm. how about um, water
3: well yeah, yeah but water you need to have a chiller to cool it down you can pump water into the into the supermarket that that's that can be done and that is done already or brine but um of course you need then a refrigeration system to cool it down mm-hmm. direct evaporation of water requires very big compressors and on the long pipes a huge volume you have very big pipes that that makes no sun, no sense mm-hmm. as direct evaporation
2: in, in system, system, low in pressure one low
3: density
4: yeah yeah, yeah we uh, we don't have a large choice of uh of molecules in uh in the world to uh, to change that i think that's Further than that, changing the refrigerants, the strategy how to cool down those refrigerants, or how to condensate, or how to modify the status or uh, this, um, the the, state, the stage of the refrigerant might be a way better to see. Uh, or we change the strategy. We change the strategy of refrigeration. We don't have fresh product. Maybe only frozen product. We uh, uh, we. Uh, we don't you we only use fermentated products fermentated product can be used and uh, can be kept at standard ambient temperature
0: but I'm, I'm going too far <laughs> but thank you anyway uh, Danish Ya how efficient is co2 in high ambient conditions like India and what is the ideal cop in such conditions? We touched on that earlier, but, yeah. uh, can you elaborate? Who wants?
3: Okay. Um, yeah, yep. well, how, how efficient, um, I, I don't have a number now. I cannot tell you this is the best CO2 you can, uh, COP you can ever get. So I cannot give you a number because that depends on what you do with that system. Is it it a heat pump? Is it uh, something that that cools medium temperature down? Is is it something that you use for low temperature? That has a major influence on that. Um, As mentioned before, there are quite some applications where you have a higher efficiency with HFCs in India, for example, or with propane. You can come close to these efficiencies when you put some, some additional stuff into the CO2 system, like ejectors. If you do heat recovery as well, in case you need heat recovery, uh, let's say to warm up sanitary hot water, then your CO2 system gets more efficient because you do not need anything else any other mm-hmm. heat source
2: there you go. Yep. to
3: heat up your your sanitary hot water it it's it's then a complete energy view it it really depends on what you do
0: yeah yeah uh, thank you so much i think we'll uh, jump to Deepak Rai he's asking does the high power consumption with CO2 as a refrigerant justify the specific heat capacity of CO2?
2: Yeah, I mean that's a, that's again you, you
0: got to define um, high
2: power consumption. What is causing your high power consumption? Um, if it's in a subcritical state, then it's not high power consumption because again you got to look at your COP, how much net refrigeration effect are you getting for the amount of energy you put in. Um, and as York says, if it's a transcritical system, you have to look at all the variables, you know, do you have a use for that energy? Um, you know, what would you pay f- normally for the energy that you would be using in your transcritical system? Is it a part of a two stage system? All of these things you have to look at together. There is no one solution, um, no one answer to that it's going to vary based on your application, the use that you have for the surplus heat and what your ambient conditions are going to be. But uh, uh, majority of the time when you design a system like that, you're taking the best solution. And so, um, yes, it definitely does justifies that in the case that uh, your specific heat's higher and you have a use for the extra heat. Um, overall, you come out on top in the energy equation. That's what it kind of comes down to.
0: Hmm yeah uh we have a lot of question coming in uh, <laughs> yeah i'm let's afraid get
2: one that's kind of t- touching on a topic that we haven't uh already touched <laughs> on here yeah uh,
0: that is a good one uh, i think yeah there's a good one here i think i hope it's a it's a good question that uh We have here from Stephen Benton. Um, Is EEV different and important versus flush gas forming in the liquid line?
2: Mm, They're they're two different things. Liquid forming in your flash gas is going to affect any metering device. An electronic expansion valve has traditionally been used in CO2 systems, although there are some mechanical uh, TXVs that are, are coming out. But I'm not sure what... The relationship is that he's asking there.
1: Mm, I mean, generally, if you talk about your your metering device, Jeremy, as you said, traditionally within let's say the food retail environment, we've used EV or AKV. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know you have flash gas in the local then you would let's say oversize your AKV to cope with that uh, challenge of having flash gas in there. Um, so I, I guess, Stephen, it, it depends. On the percentage of flush gas that you've got, as to how you would size your metering device, whether it's AKV,
2: whether it's stepper, whether it is TV. Um, oh, okay. I just see he's actually updated. It was I was answering the question yeah. as to why the intermediate pressure was as it is.
1: Uh, okay. Know. Okay, was not. All right, okay. Sorry
0: about that. <laughs> ah, okay. Up. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. We have another question that is about this system and racks. Let's see. How many racks? Oh, sorry. It's Jose Alberto Ortiga Torres. He's asking how many racks or tanks per loop. Could you clarify this a bit more? Oh, man.
1: I guess, is, is he meaning about how many evaporators on a system or?
2: That's a pretty specific design question, actually. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, depends uh, on the size yeah. of the, the rack and puck. Yeah,
2: and yeah.
1: Um,
3: well. I agree. And maybe the idea or the, maybe the question goes towards, do you need several intermediate pressure vessels in in one system? If that's the question, no, you can have one compressor rack and mm-hmm. connect that to an intermediate pressure vessel you can even connect two compressor racks to that a low temperature and a medium temperature compressor rack they can work on the same intermediate pressure vessel that's possible and per rack per compressor rack let's say on a low temperature rack you can of course connect quite many different evaporators on a large system that is possible as well so you do not need to have two pressure vessels at, at different intermediate pressures in a system that can do low temperature and high temperature together
0: great thank you Jörg. um we have another question from Ashkar nishan malik uh, he's asking does transcritical two CO2 require specialized components for handling the increased pressure? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Generally,
1: yeah. Your system, the components within the system have to be able to withstand the, the pressure that you're working at. So typically, uh, let's say on a commercial condensed unit, CO2, your gas cooler would be 140 bar, and the uh, then you'd have a 80 bar, in the rest of the system. Um, so they are specialized because they're, they're made to do a job and work with, with CO2.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: At these um, high pressures. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then obviously standstill pressure as well. Um, so yeah, making sure that everything is at least 80 bar to cope mm-hmm. with the standstill pressure. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jose Alberto Tiga Torres is back again with uh, another question regarding the transcritical operations. What to do when the ambient temperature exceeds the 30 degrees Celsius with the problem of, of transcritical CO2? The expansion valve has to be electronic for these equipments or not? I guess it has to do with the intermediate...
2: Um, I think we kind of beat this one to death, but uh, you guys want to just do a quick overview on this again?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're you're taking your uh, liquid from your in intermediate vessel, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which you know your your gas cooler is cooling your CO2. You uh, you take it through the pressure reduction in into your receiver. So whether it's transcritical or, or subcritical, it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use not
3: not for the expansion valve ahead of the evaporator because, as you say, John, that gets the liquid from the intermediate pressure vessel and mm. and then um you can use thermostatic or electric expansion valves however until recently there was no thermostatic co2 valve on the market now there is the t2 from danfoss mm-hmm. but um if we talk about the the valve which is after the gas cooler
1: uh, uh, maybe yes
3: that makes a lot of sense when that is electric because then you can adapt to to this change um, your system might run subcritical in the winter and then summertime sc- summertime comes the system goes transcritical and you can adapt that valve it you control becomes it becomes, your a, it becomes a gas
2: pressure. expander then and a, yes yeah yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah yeah that's maybe what he's talking about okay. quite correct
0: mm-hmm. um, I'm sorry but uh, we are sort of Slowly closing in on uh, an hour now. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, but uh, the the question keeps pouring in, and uh, for you out there, uh, we'll try to answer the questions afterwards. So uh, if we haven't answered your questions here live directly, then please uh, take a look uh, a few days later, and uh, we should hopefully be able to answer, uh, if not all, then at least most of the questions that, that we've got gotten today. Um, but let's just take another one here. It's from Amar Risik. Yeah. Where do you position yourself or your own CO2 portfolio against HFO? That's the Danfoss portfolio, I presume.
3: In parallel, I would say. Yeah. Danfoss offers components for all refrigerants. Um, At the same cooling capacity,
4: similar cooling capacity.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So not much discussion on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if, if you're, wor- I'm asking
2: if one is better than the other, or what we're banking on for the future. Well, we don't know. We're not. We're not fortune tellers. So you know, we basically offer whatever the market demands. And, you know, right now, both both options are on the table and both of them work together. I mean, mm-hmm. as Jorg has mentioned a couple of times, a lot of times HFOs or HFCs are part of a system that also includes CO2. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw but, a question on the line there where they were talking about CO2 and ammonia. And that's a really, really good question, actually, on two-stage systems. Again, it all depends on... The advantages and and what the market demands and and what are the benefits coming from you know savings on the other side of the system. So, yeah.
0: Um, a question from Rick Nassif, It looks like he's in New York. How does the CO2 system work in comparison to other refrigerants in the central New York area? That's
2: well, New York State. Question. If he's talking about sure, that's kind of a, an environment where you're going to run six six months of the year subcritical in probably six, five, six months of the year, you're probably gonna be spending a lot of time in the transcritical. So it's the same as any other type of climate. You gotta look at your energy costs and what the applications are and whether you have a use for that heat. And New York's a rel- relatively progressive state when it comes to energy in that sense, in some ways. So um, if they have lots of domestic hot water or hot water usage for the the waste heat in the trans uh, transcritical times, it makes a huge plus. So, from that standpoint, it's going to operate better than, say, an HFC or HFO system. But if it's going to be operating less efficient during the transcritical times and you don't have a use for that energy, then it becomes much more complicated. But that's no different than any other place where it has a similar
0: climate. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Manuel Pereira has a question. Can we start exchanging the copper heat exchanger for aluminum for more heat transference and thus performance?
2: I think we answered that one already with micro heat exchangers and the answer is yes, absolutely. Um, micro heat exchanger has a lot of advantages of running closer approach temperatures, lower refrigerant charges and things like that. It's a little bit more complicated to make, but, uh, yeah, I mean, mm. if, if it's, if, if it's from an energy transfer standpoint, then yes, it, it, it makes a lot of sense and we are introducing them in our condensed units. Mm.
0: Right, uh, Sharafgan Sajid asks, are existing CO2 systems enough or, or we must replace with new already now? i presume it's about uh, renewing uh, an old oh. co2 system
3: well I, I would say that's the same as we had that uh, with hfc systems mm-hmm. if you have a co2 system that's working that's 10 years old you can still operate that for some time if you have a system that's nowadays there are a few already towards 20 years old and older it might be a good idea to think about replacing that one because you, you get a new system with more modern components with more efficient system setup and components. I don't see a difference to, to other um, refrigerants Mm. here. It's the normal life cycle.
0: Yeah. Great. Thanks. Ashka Nishan Malik is asking, and I think that's about the last question, I presume. Uh, how about usage of CO2 in transport refrigeration?
4: <clears throat> that's what uh, think, the I question think? between uh, flammable refrigerants, standard refrigerants and CO2. We have flammability in certain uh, refrigeration systems, so it can, may affect uh, the safety of the person. And on the other side, with CO2, we have more pressure. So it can affect and damage in another way.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. It's not a clear response. <laughs>
3: when... Yeah, but I mean that there are there are systems in CO two in transport or for example mm-hmm. bus and train air conditioning mm-hmm. or railway air conditioning. That they are already there. They they exist, not necessarily the majority yet. They exist, so you can you can use CO2 there as well. It's again a question of what are your parameters? Where is your focus? Mm-hmm. Is that an advantage for you or not? Mm-hmm. That's always the same question. That's always mm-hmm. a decision you need to take when you build such a system. Mm-hmm. What is your focus parameter? There is no refrigerant which is the best in any parameter. That does not exist.
0: Great, thanks. I take the pleasure of asking the last question for today. And then, as I said before, uh, take a look back in a few days. We may have answered your questions in the chat. We just need some time to do so. Um, We'll take the last question from Matthias Emanuel Bauer. Uh, what do you think about the cascade systems with CO2 and H- NH3? Ammonia,
2: I like this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, had the pleasure of actually, back in the day, taking my CO2 training at um, an ammonia training center down in the U.S., and um, a big part of the focus was integrating CO2 with ammonia and what are the benefits and, and, and when and you know why would you use something like that on the surface, ammonia is a, a fantastic refrigerant. I mean, it has a ability to absorb heat, you know, per weight of refrigerant far greater than anything else, even water. Um, but it also has its limitations. As you already mentioned before, it's, it's toxic. Um, if you have a leak, you'll know you always have a leak because you can smell it. It's a strong irritant to the respiratory system and on and on and on. On the other side of things, you have a situation where if in some countries, if your ammonia charge exceeds a certain amount, you have to pay a licensing fees or special considerations or special permits. You might need special qualified people on site, uh, you know, things like that. Also, um, if you have to pump refrigerant out into uh, remote areas of the system of the area, it's much easier to pump CO2 than it is to pump ammonia out into these places. So. All this stuff is taken together. On paper, if you have an ammonia high side, in other words, your high temperature, half of the system is ammonia, the low temp side of the system is CO2, you require very, very, very close approach temperatures. In other words, the difference between your CO2 and your ammonia has to be very fine, which means you need very large heat exchangers. That rule applies the higher your low temperature side is. But once you get down below about minus 30, 35 Celsius, you know, minus 30 Fahrenheit, suddenly the efficiency of CO2 starts to take off. And then it starts to make more sense from a efficiency standpoint um, to utilize CO2 on the low side. But again, it's not just an efficiency standpoint, it's also what are these other benefits of using CO2? There's much lower ammonia charges. There could be legislations and licensing uh, uh, benefits to that. All these things play together, but it really comes to pass when there are reasons using ammonia has a negative other than efficiency. That's when CO2 starts to shine on that side of things.
0: Mm. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I will, on behalf of myself and uh, all our experts here, uh, say thank you for attending this uh uh, live stream and, uh, we'll be back again. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been quite interesting. We've had a lot of questions and I'm sorry hey, to this say, has been
2: crazy, man. We could go yeah. for hours.
0: <laughs> we could. Yeah. But we <laughs> but won't today. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we will have, uh, another session, another day. And, um, yeah. Thank you so much. Um and uh, have a nice rest of the day or evening or wherever you are in the world. Bye for now. Good morning here. (laughs) Yeah. Good morning. Bye everybody. Have a good day. Bye bye. Thank you for listening in on this podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this extract from the live stream and we hope to see you at the next live stream sometime in the autumn. Please check. Danfoss Climate Solution channels on LinkedIn and other social medias for the specific time and date. Meanwhile, try to stay cool while the summer is heating all our systems.